As we cover Irish histories, mysteries, legends, lore, and more, we are going to continue with part two of your journey into the woods. With the changes in the currents of our modern life, instead of discussing the strange and startling, you will be the main character on a walk in a soothing and delightful landscape influenced by Irish legends, traditions, and histories. I'm your host, Jen, and you are listening to Encouraging Distraction. Close your eyes and take a deep breath to the count of four. One, two, three, four. Hold for seven, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And exhale for eight, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Your heavy eyelids flutter open, bleary in the glare of a warm yellow beam of morning light. As they clear, you notice a weight on your knees. Stirring forward, the blankets falling from your chest, you notice your travel companion sitting on your lap, neatly stacked up proudly on his hind quarters, eye to eye with you, balancing as you jostle. It takes a moment for you to remember where you are as you wipe the sleep from the corners of your eyes. Your neck is still sore from having slept in the armchair, but it was a deep and dreamless sleep. You stumble forward and stretch. You decide it's time to relight a very small fire in the stone hearth as the cottage has grown quite chilly in the cool of the early morning. You lean back and stretch your arms over your head. Once the small bundle of twigs begin to crackle away again, you toss on a few thick branches and a small log into the flames, then swing the full kettle of water over it. You trudge into the kitchen and begin to work the arm of the faded red water pump until cold spring water begins to spurt out into the basin, which you quickly splash over your face and into your mouth. Then you lightly wash your face and arms and neck with a stub of fragrant lavender-scented soap. You see your guide sitting at the bottom of some stairs, more akin to a ladder than a staircase, and an enclave between the kitchen and den. You avoided it at first, not wanting to be too nosy in case the owners returned, as you had never intended to stay long and investigate the place. You only planned to stay until the rains had passed, and yet you're here still the next morning. As he is yet to lead you astray, you follow him up the rickety steps into the second floor. The floor creaks under your footsteps, as you make your way into the hallway. Family portraits hang on the walls, ranging from black and white to color, documenting multiple generations of this family, in between three rounded black doorways. Your friend is there waiting at the end of the hall, standing before the last doorway. However, you want to learn more about the house that you're in, this small slice of life that you've encountered on your walk through these strange woods. 
You wrap your hand around the knob and twist it open. On one side is a single rough-hewn pinewood bed, covered with white bedclothes and a red and blue handwoven blanket. A red gas lamp sits on the bedside table with a single empty glass next to it. At the end of the bed, there is a dresser with a hairbrush and a small pair of crumpled jeans. Around the floor lay scattered metal wind-up tinker toys and painted wooden automobiles. On the wall opposite of the bed, just under the window, is a school desk. On top, there is a messy, torn journal, a tracing alphabet, a tattered copy of children's stories, broken crayons, pencils, and a shoebox full of rocks. You exit and make your way to the next door. When it swings open, you find a tiny library. On the walls to your left and right are bookshelves from the floor to the ceiling. Half of the room is filled with a large, richly colored mahogany desk. You see the back of a burgundy leather armchair set before it, tattered and sun-bleached. You step over to the desk in two short paces to review the papers on the plum-colored leather desk pad. Between the scraps of paper, you can see the fading gold fleur-de-lis. You find a stack of personal letters from various dates in different hands, some from not too long ago at all, some decades old, most addressed to either a George or an Iris. Piles of books sit here and there on anthropology, botany, religion, philosophy, and biology. You sit down in the armchair for a moment to gently leaf your way through the cordial thank you notes, well wishes, and light personal correspondences containing good news and friendly questions, typically requesting to see for his own updates in their next letters. As you try to piece together a story of a life in this quiet, empty cottage, you hear a low yowl at the open doorway. You exit and make your way to the third room. The cat's eyes are narrowing at you as he raises his chin up at your approach to maintain his glare. It seems as though he is annoyed that you have been shuffling through those personal papers. You follow the mildly antsy cat into the third and final room, a large bedroom. Your sore neck twinges with annoyance and you kick yourself for not having wandered up the stairs the night before as the room is lovely, though dusty. The overstuffed plush white duvet and thick mattress makes the bed more like a fluffy cloud or wedding cake than furniture. Little bits of delicate embroidery on the pillowcase lends the only design and color to the room. Everything is simple, cleanly painted, and useful. There are only a small amount of furnishings to the room. A small dresser for clothes, two large wardrobes, a chest, a small work table stacked full with boxes, overstuffed with fabric to the point of ribbon and strips of lace are spilling out of the lids. The bright morning sun is dulled across the room by the curtains and a soft sparkle from the glass crystal vase on the sill. 
A paw on the back of your calf draws your attention away from the single molting rose contained in the vase that has again renewed your attempts to calculate when the last time someone was here, and it takes it down to the two bright eyes of your companion. You know you decide to speak to him. You're very demanding, even for a cat, my good mate. A tail swishes in reply. So you take to following him once again, and he brings you to a closet door. With a paw and a purr, again, he signals you to do his bidding. He has yet to lead you astray, you say to yourself once more. The door creaks loudly as you pull it open to allow the natural light in, but it still does not quite reach the small nooks and corners of the closet. Beautifully carved artistic shelves line the walls, cut into semicircles, covered in intricate curls and swirls. Neat little objects and curiosities are stacked high on each plank. Bright sun-bleached corals, seashells, vases of crystals and porcelain, silver vessels, twinkling amethysts, stunning stones, strange little wooden boxes with complicated writing on them, stacks of white cards with brightly painted shapes in their centers, delicately painted china, dried bunches of pungent flowers and picnic baskets, tan duffel bag, leather and green canvas hiking rucksacks and boots, a golden angel statue with a crescent moon crown. You crouch down to sit on your heels and to handle more of these objects closer to the bottom. Two little tufted ears emerge before your squinting eyes to interrupt your gaze. Now that he has your full attention, he begins to place his paw on a few select items. He continues this pattern over and over again until you grab the objects. One by one, you gather them up into your hands. You step out of the closet and begin to drop the items onto the end of the bed until you are stopped by a sharp, angry hiss. You look back at your friend, pick them all up again, and put them on the work table instead. A soft purr tells you that he is very pleased with himself for having warned you of your grievous mistake. You try and piece together the items into one secure russick, when you suddenly hear the whistle of the kettle downstairs. You consider for a moment and finally decide it would be easier to review and place these strange collection of items after your morning cup of tea and quickly place the smaller items into the picnic basket and sling the sack over your shoulder and head down to the kitchenette. You drop the sack and the basket at the foot of the kitchen table and start to gather up the teapot and mug you used the night before and the ten of tea bags, and set to work delicately pouring water from the heavy soot-stained kettle into the teapot. From the cabinet, you select a similar jar of unidentifiable meats to the one your friend had selected for himself the night before, and empty the contents onto a clean plate for him, and a small cup of water that you place at his most preferred seat. You step out 
the side door to explore the small kitchen garden, tossing a few bits of yesterday's dinner to the hens, clucking around and pulling down some vegetables for them that had rotted from the vines. As you gather delicious and vibrant fresh eggs and vegetables into a makeshift hammock that is the bottom of your shirt, you look around and notice a fruit tree flourishing in a tucked away corner of the garden, which you eagerly pluck the fresh plump fruit. With the dry goods in the cabinets, the eggs, and vegetables and fruit you gathered from the garden, you make yourself a large breakfast. You scramble around and find a milky-colored glass bowl that you fill with a few scoops of flour, the fine particles swirling in the air, a drizzle of oil, an egg, a splash of water, and a tiny spoon of something you hope is baking powder. You set about the fireplace to make yourself some griddled bread, some fried eggs, and vegetables. You drop a few eggs into the kettle and swing it back over the crackling flames. With the room now full of the sweet smells of breakfast, you set your food, your teapot and mug, and yourself at the table, where your feline friend has still yet to join. You take a few mouthfuls of your breakfast and start to eye the strange collection of items you've been requested to gather. You notice that there is the name George, scrawled in bleeding black ink on a strip of white cloth over the left flap of your rucksack. You say aloud to yourself, So George, is it? I wonder where you've gone off to, George. To which a small meow replies. You look up and your furry friend is now sitting across from you in his favorite seat, paws on the table, flashing his tail back and forth in delight. George, you say to him, your brows fully drawn together and your eyes narrowed on him. Is your name George? Purring is your only reply as he is heartily eating his breakfast. You shake your head and continue eating your own, enjoying the increasing beaming sun and brightly chirping birds. After you empty your mug of hot tea, you eye a small parcel of paper bound together by a bit of twine next to George's plate that wasn't there when you had sat down to the table. You take a moment to bask in the joy of your strange adventure, breathing in the smells of breakfast and hot tea. You quickly clear the plates away and wash them. You turn your back to the sink and lean deeply against it, putting one leg behind the other, crossing your arms over your chest, with your eyes on the stack of objects by the leg of the kitchen table. With a deep breath into your chest, until it feels like bursting, you realize all of the tension is free. You uncross your arms and walk over to the table. You pull out everything from the picnic basket and the backpack to make an inventory of what your friend George has requested you pack. You neatly line up everything on the table. From the sack, you pull a green canvas bedroll, an orange and tan sleeping bag, a small metal grate, bright red thermoses, a large canteen, a container of water tablets, an iron pan, matches, a wooden spoon, a metal battery-powered lamp, a mallet, a brass compass, and a bundle of rope. In the tan sack, 
you find poles, small bundles of thin rope, and a canvas tent. You look into the picnic basket and find collapsible cups, blue and white speckled dinnerware, mugs, and a campfire kettle. You cradle the little knickknacks in your hand, turning over the strange wooden box, some sparkling purple crystals, the golden statue, a crystal vial, and a bundle of herbs wrapped in red strings. You look at all the gear George has gathered for you and mentally prepare yourself for a new and exciting journey. You grab up the bundle of papers dropped next to George's plate as he neatly cleans his fur after dinner. You discover that it's a hiking map, some celestial charts, and a strange recipe regarding some of the objects that you have gathered, along with a poem. You pack it all back up together, adding the papers to your front pocket. You decide to take some additional essential items from around the house. Some soap, some vegetables and fruit from the garden, boiled eggs you made in the kettle, a bit of the leftover griddled bread, a brush, clean rags, a pocket knife, and some items from the drawers upstairs that you think might fit you. As you fill your canteen and thermos, you notice George turning little circles by the front door to urge you to hurry up. You shake your head at him as you attempt to condense everything into a single rucksack. Do you really expect me to carry all of this by myself? You say, finally tiring of his impatience. He sits and waits for you to discard this and that, finally settling to only bringing two of the green square canvas tarps, some metal clips, and two wooden poles from the incredibly heavy tent kit. When you have left this thing or taken that, you're ready. You tie the sleeping bag and lantern into the leather straps, secure the sack with the belt across your chest, and sling the canteen across your shoulder. You move to the door with your two substitute walking sticks in each palm. Happy with the weight of your gear and comfortable, you open the door where George springs ahead of you, leading you up the trail. You look around and squint towards the sun, guessing the time to be late morning. The gray skies of yesterday have cleared to a beautiful, bright warm blue, and the slick stone pavers and grass are still lightly speckled with the dew. As you ease your way down the small hill that the house sits on, you follow behind George, his tail flicking with excitement. He looks over his shoulder occasionally, making sure you keep up. You easily slip into a rhythm with your walking. The slopes are not too steep. You stake your sticks into the ground with fair ease as you cross the open grass. You see a thin, worn path in the grass, not much wider than your own two feet, leading away into the dark pine forest. You notice, as you draw closer, that small young saplings and branches have been stripped and woven into intricate braids and knots to create a natural tunneling archway. You stoop slightly to enter into the forest, bowing your head down, yet a few tendrils of vines, 
sweep across your cheeks as you pass through this strange tunnel. The air around you grows colder and colder as you walk into the darkening depths of the trees. The wet soil under your feet squelches and slips as the gray earth and stones shift here and there. The air is thick with the smell of damp loam, moss, and pine sap. Spiderwebs around the path gently sparkle, and the ever-sparsening dappled light of day a few of the silken nets dotted with bright, jewel-colored arachnids. This path is different from the path you took before to the cottage. The trees are older, and the air is more still, and the light, the brightness of birds and bugs buzzing, are lessening with every single step. A different sort of fluttering replaces the sounds and sights of the creatures you are more familiar with. You are sure you saw something long-legged scuttle ahead of you. Maybe your eyes are just playing tricks on you, but you are very sure a rather large toadstool moved, and that its red and white cap speckled and shimmered in a very strange way. Things flutter and stop watching you pass. The path ahead becomes more defined, wider. The edges of the trail become set with stones, covered in moss, all carved with designs. Gravel and dirt turn into paving slates, and a small, stone-lined edge turns into a thick wall. You're sure you saw wisps of silver hair and a pair of pure white eyes disappear onto the other side, and you realize that the walls are now a few feet over your head, and as you look ahead, you see the walls growing taller until nothing but darkness. You stop, suddenly realizing you can't see much farther than what is directly in front of your face. Leaning your walking poles against the wall, which are now well over your head, you take this opportunity to turn on your lantern. You remove the canteen and russock and unclip the battery lantern, fumbling in the dark for the metal switch. With a satisfying click, the bulb begins to glow with a warm yellow light. You cut back the darkness by holding the lantern out as far as you can to the left and then to the right. You carefully secure your gear back into place, and you finish by clipping the lantern through one of the holes in the top of the pole in your right hand. You use the pole in your left hand to carefully stake your way through the ground and keep your balance. With your right, you carry the pole tucked under your arm to support the lantern as far out as you can to avoid pitfalls and strange creatures lurking beyond the edge of your lamp's light. A fluffy tail flicks back and forth ahead of you, waiting for you to catch up when you falter, never letting you get too far away. You try and make out any symbol or sign from the walls, but all you see are swirls and triangles and waves becoming deeper and deeper and more defined on the surfaces of the stones around you. You look up and around, not sure if you have entered into the earth, the sky, or another realm. Each step is down, 
but no wall has closed over your head. In fact, as you squint your eyes and hold the light away, you are absolutely sure you can see the twinkling of starlight, even though you're sure it is still midday. Deeper and deeper you step, farther and farther down, but which way or how far, you're not very sure. Farther into the earth you're traveling, slipping deeper and deeper as the stones smooth under your feet and the walls widen. The smell of wet earth changes to dry, burning wood. The sweet yet stringent scent of fire stings your nostrils, and the empty black before your swaying lantern begins to break with a warm golden glow. Warm air begins to envelop your body as you enter into a large chamber. Before you are two massive brown oak doors, each adorned with gleaming stones and precious metals. George sits before the doors, patiently tapping his tail against the ground. Thank you for listening to part two of my special episode series where we take a break from the Irish mysteries and histories and fall away into the more, a fantasy world picked from pieces of Irish myths and legends.